And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you. It is Wednesday, September 29th. Today, we say goodbye to our Pleasant Surprises series. It is part four of an ongoing series we've been doing since last week, going team by team, digging into some of the more pleasant surprises from this season and trying to make our first attempt to find some pleasant surprises for the future. So uh, we are going to dig into the remaining teams in the NL Central and the entire NL East over the course of this episode. We knocked out the Pirates in our uh, last episode, part three. So we begin one spot above them with the Cubs, and I didn't think they'd be quite this bad, even if they moved on from most of that core that led them to the World Series. And I, I keep looking at this team and wondering, what are they really going to do in the offseason? Because when you boil it down, the Cubs' most pleasant surprises are guys like Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom. We talked about our, our preferences between those two, which profile we'd bet on in the future in a previous episode because of the K-rate. It's Schwindel. But then there's also like Rafael Ortega. And is this is this a team that's going to be actually aggressive with the second-tier free agents and trying to patch together something that is at least somewhat competitive going into 2022? Or is this Cubs roster going to be a land of opportunity where it's guys like those three and maybe a few other minor league free agents and, and pillow contract guys all trying to uh, carve out major league opportunities while they go through a longer rebuild. I would think that it would just, it'd be a shame if they kind of go dark and try to do the Astros rebuild. Uh, they're trying to build uh, their own TV network. You know, they're trying to make up for pretty significant losses during COVID. They are going to be so cheap next year. Right now on Fangraphs, the luxury tax estimate for next year is $59 million. The only salaried players they will have under contract are Jason Hayward, Kyle Hendricks, and David Bodie. And David Bodie will be paid $2.5 million. Wow. So I hope they're, they're, active in free agency even if it's not at the very top uh it's um you know active in that second tier and and third tier of free agents it does have some meaning for the uh the guys that have come in and played in the meantime and you know we have plenty of pleasant surprises for this team because there was so much opportunity in the second half uh, and they went and and found, you know, as we as we detailed on this podcast, a bunch of guys that uh, had good max exit velo, and uh, they pretty much all capitalized on that raw power when given the chance. 
So the one problem I have is I, I put a, a new number on my leaderboards for this discussion and uh, age is that category, that number. And all of the guys that they added are old. Yeah. Uh, Schwindel, Wisdom, Rafael Ortega, they're not 24 and 25-year-olds getting those first chances. They're guys that are in their late 20s. I think Ortega is even 30, isn't he? I mean, this is a... He's 30. Schwindel's 29. Yeah. Wisdom is 29. You wouldn't... It took them so long to get here, too, uh, that you would expect them not to have uh, long careers into their late 30s either. So these guys are, I feel, two to three year players. You know, I think they'd be lucky to to fill to fill out a five year uh, to or to get to the end of their arbitration years. You know, so I think interesting and good and useful while they're cheap and. To various degrees, um, I think that they have some staying power. We did have a whole uh, kind of episode about this where we talked about maybe liking Schwindel the most. We did not talk much about Ortega, who uh, fits kind of in between uh, Wisdom and Schwindel in the spectrum where he does not have the strikeout problems that Wisdom has, uh, but he also doesn't have the barrel and hard hit rates uh, that Schwindel does. So... Uh, but he also has more speed and perhaps more defensive value. So I think Ortega and Schwindel will stick around. Uh, Bodie is cheap and still hits the ball hard. So at the very least, you you think of him as maybe a backup uh, second baseman, third baseman. You're gonna you're gonna put Madrigal in there at second base and Nico Horner at short, I guess. Uh, and if they don't spend any money, that's your Infield for the Cubs is Bodie, Horner, Madrigal, Schwindel. The outfield will be Ortega. Your star of the team will be Ian Happ. And they'll fill in somebody in right field. Oh, I guess Hayward. Hayward will still be there because he's due some money. <laughs> yeah, so a lot hinges on whether or not they trade Wilson Contreras too, I guess. It, it really is like Contreras and Happ and then just a bunch of pieces around them I think it depends on how much you believe in Nick Madrigal as a guy that's going to hit big league pitching in the long run and whether or not you believe Nico Horner could develop some power I would say those two guys you know Madrigal uh, fewer questions about him because he's shown a little bit of it in the big leagues already and Horner like they can move around a little bit this is something that Sahadev Sharma and Brett Taylor were talking about on the Cubs podcast onto Waveland earlier this week is like they can go out and get whatever they want that feels discounted and just shift a few pieces around because yeah. nothing nothing is written in ink that includes Ian Happ too. Happ's going to play, um, but whether Hap he plays can a corner play or different plays, places, yeah, corner he can even play second, I think still, yeah, you know. So you know, yeah, that's that's the one nice thing about this is it's kind of a blank slate. Even Horner and uh, Madrigal, uh, you know, they could maybe just share second. I mean, it's not like they're, they're both be cheap, and it's not like you're you're a hundred percent on either. You know, um, I mean, Horner uh, got 170 trips to the plate this year and didn't hit a single homer. He could end up being the utility guy. Um, so yeah, th- they can push guys out of the way. Um, my pick for pleasant surprise. I, I mean, we could pick a pleasant surprise. I just. Uh, we, this is kind of well traveled for us in terms of we talked about all these players. I think we we might both pick Schwindel or something. I don't know, but um, I think more interesting is who's the pleasant surprise next year, 
And my pick, I think, is Ian Happ. Because I think the 225 batting average and the 101 WRC Plus don't tell the full story of his full season. And I think that, you know, the, the we'll see what the projections look like, but he, I think there's a, a little bit of chance of a breakout where he puts it all together. You know, he'll be 27 next year. He's had his ups and downs. The second half was very different from the first half for him this year. And I think there is one last gear for Ian Happ. And that could make him a pretty good value next year in terms of fantasy baseball. Yeah, I'm on board for an Ian Happ rebound and playing time, piling up counting stats is definitely a reason enough to be interested in him. What I, what I was at what I will assume is a, a very discounted price. Uh, Adbert Alzala on the pitching side, I think, took a few steps forward this year. It's 123 and two thirds innings as we speak on this Wednesday. So, in terms of workload restrictions for next year, I, I'd assume he's got a very clear path to be a starter all year. We could see him throw probably 170 or so innings, so not much of a, a drop compared to some of the other arms that we're going after earlier. I think the only real skills issue we're seeing right now is home runs. Like he had that problem in 2019. He showed that problem again in 2021. And I think we still need a more consistent third offering for him to really thrive and be a guy that can push six innings on a consistent basis. But even as a two-pitch guy, I think he could be pretty useful and maybe end up being the Cubs' best starter, depending on what happens with Kyle Hendricks and a possible bounce back for him next season. Yeah, a cutter started appearing in the second half, and it, it replaced the curveball, which is good because this curveball is not good. <laughs> um, and so if you're talking about a guy who's cutter, slider, four seam, uh, he has uh, some upside uh, there given that he can locate the four seam okay. The slider is a, a really good pitch by uh, by stuff, and uh, the cutter looks like an average pitch. So um, that would give him a three-pitch mix I'd be excited about. Um, I also just see that despite the home run issue, his location plus on the year is 102. So he's been putting pitches in decent places. I would, I would assume that the home run issue comes from being a two pitch pitcher. So if he can fit, if he he feature that cutter more or the changeup, which looks good by stuff and location, um, I, I could see him kind of avoiding that homer issue a little bit next year. Also, homers in small samples are uh, possibly the least informative stat. Um, I don't mean to say he did not have a homer issue this, this year. I'm just saying that after 123 innings, we still don't know what his true talent home run per nine number is. Yeah, and I, I think I see some some shades of Freddie Peralta here too, maybe just because two pitches initially, flashes of success, uh, you know, a stint in the bullpen, like all those kinds of things. Doesn't mean he's going to get to the Peralta rates, top ten bad level. Homer rates, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freddie had a walks issue too that he is fixed over time. So uh, I would say Alzale is the he's the pitcher that I like the most. Uh, if you get past Hendricks, I think Hendricks will bounce back. By the way, I think we talked about that on a previous episode as well. Uh, but let's stay in the NL Central for a bit, and let's talk about a Reds team that should have been higher in the standings and shouldn't be the second team up after the Cubs in this conversation. The Reds had some pleasant surprises, and I think the hardest thing for me about this team is I thought they really were good enough to make the playoffs, and they collapsed against a weak schedule in the second half 
I don't know how much they're going to be willing to spend this offseason to fix their flaws. We'll probably get into that more this winter. But I think it's really encouraging after some injury plague seasons in the minors that Jonathan India might win the National League Rookie of the Year award. I would say he probably tops the list of surprises, but not that far behind him. Kyle Farmer settling in as an everyday shortstop over the second half of the season. I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, but as far as India goes, how much are you buying into the overall results that he put together this season, you know, taking over a spot and, and becoming maybe a fixture atop this Reds lineup? Uh, one thing I didn't know is that Jonathan India is a member of the uh, Yoked Fathers Club. <laughs> are you in that club? His- no, no. <laughs> um, uh, his father is is a body bodybuilder level, uh, you know, dude along the lines of Earl Stroman. Oh, okay, okay. I saw. So I thought this was like oh, this is more like Tyler O'Neill's situation too. I thought you yes. were saying that Jonathan Tyler India O'Neill, is a father Baz, who is yoked. No. He has a father who is yoked. Yes, okay, he has a very yoked father. Uh, in fact, he he's he's his body type is much more normal <laughs> compared. I mean, Tyler O'Neill uh, took his father's uh, you know legacy and 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 <laughs> and ran with it. Um, he, he, Jonathan India reminds me a little bit more of Shane Baz, where they're these kind of lithe, um, you know, uh, skinny athletes, and their fathers are just yoked. Um, but I don't think that's relevant right now, Eno, so shut up. Um, <laughs> uh, I love India's reach rate. It's, it is tiny. It is second best on this team. It is even, in fact, better than Joey Votto's. Uh, I interviewed Joey Votto uh, for a piece that will probably wait till spring. But uh, I talked to him uh, about this year, and he said, I just want to have fun. <laughs> and that he stopped worrying so much about uh, not reaching and that he he's, all he wants to do is hit homers. And um, that that means sometimes swinging and driving pitches that are outside the zone. So Joey Votto no longer has one of the very best reach rates in baseball. And Jonathan India has beaten him on his, on his own team. I also like uh, Jonathan India's 10% barrel rate. I love his 11% walk rate, 22% strikeout rate. I love the 12 stolen bases. I don't see a problem. In fact... One of the pleasant surprises for this team next year might be that buying Jonathan India high is a good is a good move. Yeah, I wonder where he's going to go. We could play our our favorite game, the game show, sweeping the nation. Guess the ADP. Oh man, <laughs> the the fairy tale land I go to in my head sometimes is uh, truly a, a special place. But. <laughs> It's a possible five-category contribution again next year, and it's possible that there's even a little more power. I think with India, we could even play Would You Rather. That's the the original game show that swept the nation from <laughs> the depths of my mind. But the, Would you rather Jonathan India or Ozzy Albies? Whoa, you're going all the way up there? Uh, yeah. You, yeah, you've set the bar very high. I didn't even think... I thought there'd be a Why tear not? break before them, but maybe, Why not? maybe you're right. Maybe that's Why about where not? he belongs. Hmm. I mean, uh, in terms of projections, uh, you're probably talking about a 250 average from India, but the bad X has 265, and I love that reach rate, and the power, and the contact are all there. He might even improve the contact rate in the second year. 
And so if he's at 265 and you buy the power and you buy the stolen bases, then you're talking about 265, 20, 25, 10 to 15. That is Ozzy Albies. So if he's cheaper than Ozzy Albies, I'm taking Jonathan India. I'm passing on Ozzy Albies and taking Jonathan India. In fact, my second base strategy next year might be Jonathan India or Cattell Marte in the fourth or fifth. My apologies to our viewers on YouTube for the awkward angle at which I'm looking at the camera. I'm trying to stand up during today's show, and I'm very pensively looking at these player pages. <laughs> so I don't mean to make weird faces like a character from a video game, but Ozzy Albies is close to a 30-20 season. It'll be the first time okay. that he's reached All those right. levels. So I, I think because he's got a so longer at his numbers in a, while. <laughs> a longer track but record of doing it, I think... 265 average there. or something, right? Yeah, uh, so the, the bat's actually higher on... Albie's long-term average than, than India's. I think they're going to be closer in production than people think. So I think it does come down to what you're saying, the price. Like I would choose, if the cost were equal, I prefer Albie's to India. The question is more fair than I thought it was when you put it out there. I think if I'm looking at yeah, the... Yeah, because you're going to get like two or three rounds with India. Right. And I'm trying to find a comparable player from drafts this year. I mean, Jose Altuve in late March, had an ADP of 86. Is is India going to go much earlier than that? Albies was going inside the 50, top 40. Like he 40, was, yeah, yeah, he was up there. So is India kind of in that 75 to 90 range? Does that seem about, yes. about right? Yeah, with Marte. And I bet you Altuve will still be down there because of his age. That's just silly. I mean, I'm... Well, all right. Maybe, maybe... No, uh, okay, so this is my guess. I'm, is, not, I'm not mocking you. I'm mocking the market. If that's if that's an accurate, if, if you're right, I, I'm, okay, I'm my guess I'm is Altuve. My guess is uh, uh, Albies in the top thirty. Okay, yeah, right. He'll hold, maybe, he'll hold his spot there or near there. Yeah, maybe top twenty-five. Like he's gonna be. He's gonna go. He won't be the last two rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Altuve uh, in the next round. Yeah, probably more like pick 50, something in that range. And then India and Marte uh, uh, in like the 6th and 7th. Who am I missing in second base? Nobody. I think that's pretty accurate in terms of what we're looking for. Let's see. Anybody else jammed in that range? I'm loading up the earn values tools to make sure there's nobody else. Who should be in there? Theoretically, Javier Baez should be in that mix Muncie. too. Muncie qualifies right now, at least. I think we checked. He's still going to qualify next year. Brandon Lau doing it kind of a different way, less balanced. But Chris Taylor's kind of the same type of player mm, as uh, India. Yep, I think that's yes. that's probably a really good baseline sort of comp. I think that's a good fallback plan. I do think you know, for example, Jonathan India and Ozzy Albies have very similar barrel rate and max EVs. And they both hit in hitter-friendly parks. So I do kind of think that Albies might take a step back from that 30-homer level. Yeah, so if we're playing, I think we tried to rename this one to draft this, not that. I think it was uh, uh, Spit or Swing was what someone threw out there. I don't know if that name's going (laughs) to stick. But part of the reason you could comfortably pass on Albies if he's going to hold that 30 to 40 range overall is you have these other options that could come close and i think i think second base seems a little bit healthier to me than it did last year yeah india i I think india could have one more level with that power i I think he could get to a 30 10 sort of season i don't know if he'll run enough to ever push 20 steals but especially with the park that he's in 30 home runs doesn't seem impossible 
Anyway, uh, he counts as this year's pleasant surprise and possibly next year's pleasant surprise. Uh, you know, on the pitching side, uh, I, you know, I'd say Tyler Molly, but I don't think anybody listening to this uh, podcast was surprised by Tyler Molly. No, no. So I, here's here's my surprise on the pitching side. This will be a quick one. Lucas Sims. Uh, the ERA is at 447, but this is actually probably the best version of Lucas Sims we've seen yet. 38.3% K rate, 14.4% singing strike rate, a walk rate at 9.3%, lowest it's been since 2017. He could be their main source of saves, but the other surprise this is an unpleasant surprise, but it's worth mentioning here because I will forget before we get to the all negative shows coming up in November. <laughs> Brace yourself for that darkness. No, nobody, <laughs> nobody has reached ten saves for the Reds this season. They uh, they dealt so for Michael Garrett, Gibbons. Your... No, so I think I think Sims would be my guy to lead this team, but I don't know. They've kind of gone the way of the Rays, and I don't know if they're necessarily going to go back. But if you said you have to roster a Reds reliever, whether that's for draft and hold or NL only, Lucas Sims is someone I think is going to be a little bit underpriced going into twenty twenty two. Yeah, I don't think Michael Gibbons is around next year. Pretty sure he's a free agent. Fairly confident. Yeah, so, um, yeah, free agent. And Michael Lorenzen is also a free agent, which uh, he's gotten a few saves this year. So, yeah, I think, uh, I guess maybe, you know, Sessa recast or Garrett in a Garrett reprisal. Those are pretty much the only two other names that I'm, uh, that I would put in the class with Lucas. So I think, yeah, I think Lucas Sims, man. All right, we are uh, on the same page. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's time to go to St. Louis, and oh, you don't have to look gosh. far. We had a question about Tyler O'Neill, whether or not we believe in it. I mean, I think he could be the the winner for this award on the hitting side. I think there's a an old man on he's, the pitching side that has it kind of locked up on that side. Easy winner. He's the easy. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, co co winners, perhaps. I think this is a question that Al Melkier threw at me on fantasy baseball in 15 earlier this week. What's next for Tyler O'Neill? A lot of people are wondering about this. A 283 average. I don't know if anyone ever expected that because of the K rate that he brings. Uh, but the one thing that I, I threw out there on the other pod was just that for a guy that strikes out a lot, Tyler O'Neill does enough other things well to keep his batting average floor more in the 230, 240 range as opposed to the 210, 220 range. He hits the ball very hard. He doesn't pull everything and he runs well. So he holds higher BABIPs and you can get by with a 30% K rate if you do all those other things well. And I don't think at his current age, he's going to lose a lot of athleticism anytime soon. I mean, uh, I don't think Tyler O'Neill is going to lose athleticism 
really until he's like 80 years old if they even then <laughs> you define it by muscle mass right like there, there's gonna be like someday i'm gonna go into a gym when i'm like 98 years old to slowly walk on a treadmill and tyler o'neill's gonna be in there squatting 600 pounds still <laughs> but i mean a 32 homer 14 steal season with average on top of that this is another guy who's gonna have an adp that just goes through the roof uh, people have liked him for a long time the other surprising thing when i was digging into him before he has more plate appearances this season, 521, than he had in the previous three seasons in the big leagues combined. Mm. That actually surprised me. I thought we had seen more, I don't, failure, I guess was the, the word, but I, I thought we saw more of Tyler O'Neill in the big leagues than we actually did prior to this season. And I'm pretty excited about his future because he has a lot of ways to make value as he's shown us this year. I think he's a trap. Really? Like Admiral yeah. Akbar level, like that's a trap. I yeah, I kind of do. Hmm. Um, I just, you know, when I when I look at his line, I I, I hate to ogle the the thirty two percent strikeout rate, and at least you know I have to give some love to the eighteen percent barrel rate. And in his rookie season, he had a really nice barrel rate too, and he has the the body of a barrel. So you'd think that he is going to hit things hard, but. Um, I just don't know about the steals. So I think next year could be a 230 season with, you know, 30 homers and five steals. What do you think of that? Not impossible. I think that's like a bottom 15 to 20% outcome based on you think so? projections. Yeah, I think it's I was a, thinking that was like a, a 35 to 40 percentile outcome. I don't know. He hits the ball really hard. A lot. He can, yeah. he can regress quite a bit in hard hit rate. Still pop those homers. He's fourteen yeah, for I mean, eighteen as a base dealer. He could regress to like a thirteen percent barrel rate, and that'd still be you know like top ten type stuff. Yeah, he's got an eighty percent success rate for his career as a base dealer, so there's no reason to slow him down. And he actually runs well. And he actually missed some playing time this year because of injury. So there's a chance that he can even offset God, some of the skills lost by just a higher playing a higher volume of games. He could be 150 games next year and and push closer to 100 runs and maybe even 100 RBIs, depending on the shape of that lineup around him. Yeah, that swing strike rate, though, is just... Look at this. This is is the swing strike rate uh, leaderboard. Oh, I guess that's interesting. Javier Baez, number one. Avisel Garcia, number two. He's had a pretty good season. Salvador Perez, number three. Adolis Garcia, number four. Fernando Tatis Jr., number five. Tyler News, six. Ryan Mountcastle, 7. Nick Castellanos, 8. Brandon Loud, 9. Miguel Sano, 10. Shohei Otani, 11. Hmm. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, 12. You've you mm, named more maybe. good players than bad from that leaderboard. I think I did. I really did. That's about two-thirds or three-quarters like good players. Very That's good players. crazy. I did not expect that. All right. Well, maybe you're changing my mind on air. Um, you know, it's rattled. I have to see. I have to see. I have to see the projections. I have to see where he's going. Um, I don't deny his prodigious power. Uh, how could you? And um, I suppose he's still of the age where, you know, you could see maybe a slight improvement in the strikeout rate. I mean, that was like that was the whole thing about last year. Was he? I think he really overly concentrated on what was happening in the plate in terms of getting his walk rate up and his strikeout rate down. Um, 
And that was when he had his lowest swing strike rate and his lowest strikeout rate and his worst power numbers. So this year he's just been like, screw it. I'm swinging hard at everything. It's working. And his pull rate is down. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, that was the thing that surprised me. I thought, oh, maybe he's just pulling everything. Not the case. He's He's got a nice balanced approach right now. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe he's not as much of a trap as I thought. You know what else is pretty interesting? Paul Goldschmidt quietly having just as good of a season as Tyler O'Neill. He's played more because he's been healthier. But talk about a guy, if you had him rostered all year, he's just been kind of steady. The second half has been a big part of, of the Cards' recent success. But uh, I think he'll stay in the old and boring bucket yet again in 2022 and probably be undervalued uh, as a result. Um, let's get to the the pitching side. Though. Just a quick note, though, at thirty three, uh, around thirty two to thirty three, projections become less reliable. So uh, he is in a tough bucket when it comes to just saying, "Oh, look at he's projected to hit two eighty with you know twenty eight homers and ten steals again next year. He's going to be a value." Remember that he'll be thirty four, and projections are less reliable after the age of thirty two. Yeah, the danger zone, as we like to call it. Uh, but then there's Adam Wainwright, uh, an ageless wonder mm-hmm. whose projections, I don't know, I, I, I don't remember what they were going into the season. I have to look him up just to be sure. But I don't have him anywhere. I didn't pick him up anywhere. I don't think I even rostered him as a pitch and ditch sort of guy this season. So this is one of my biggest misses of the entire season. We've had everything. We've had a good ERA, good whip, high volume of strikeouts because of the innings that he's thrown. How did this happen? And... If he runs it back again in 2022, where do we set expectations for ratios for him there? Maybe I should have looked at 2020 from him as more of a, an indicator of what he was still capable of as opposed to a 65-inning fluke than I thought it was. I think the the name here to remember is Rich Hill. Um, Rich Hill is still somehow doing it, and Rich Hill is doing it in a very similar way, which is both of them have top 10 level curveballs and not much else going for them. Wayne Ryan has a slightly larger arsenal, but none of his pitches other than the curveball rate above average by stuff. And so I, I think you can watch him and you can see, okay, this is all about dancing around with the cutter and the sinker um, as much as possible, but, but knowing that the hitter is always wondering when the curveball is coming. And it is a testament to the ability of one pitch to be so excellent that it can extend your career. I think Wainwright may be a pleasant surprise next year in the same way as uh, I might buy high on Jonathan India. I might buy high on Adam Wainwright. Yeah, I wonder. He's in an excellent park. If you if Rich Hill signed with the Cardinals next year, I might have some shares. And I kind of feel like Wainwright's not going anywhere but the Cardinals. He's kind of going to do the Molina thing where he signs another one-year deal or whatever. And uh, so I think that they'll be good. They're, they're like that that ageless, you know, they've done, they figured something out. And they can, they'll have some blow-ups, but if you put them in the right park, you know, they're, they're going to be good. If you kind of looked at Ozzy Albies as a guy you'd pass on at a higher price to then just get Jonathan India and maybe get similar production. Can you play the same game with Hinjin Ryu? Because the strikeout rate's very similar, uh, the walk rate's very similar, 
and it's a much tougher environment to pitch in. But if Wainwright comes back and we're talking about maybe a 50 or even a 75 pick gap between where Ryu is being drafted and where Wainwright's being drafted, is that a trade-off that you're comfortable making with that sort of discount? Yeah, it's a tough one because I I think I would have like Ryu I had going into the season in my top 40 and Wainwright uh, popped by the pitching plus model and I ignored it. Uh, and I had Wainwright at like 80 or something. I really should have put Wainwright in the top 50. And if I put him in the top 50 and Ryu's in, you know, like 35 or something, then uh, that's an argument for what you're saying. Because that's more like a 15, you know, rankings difference or a 20 ranking difference, but like, you know, 50 or 60 spots in the in the draft. Yeah, interesting uh, having to take the flyer on a guy like that, though, just given the age and, and what looked like a more normal sort of ending to his career prior to the shortened season. It just looked like Wainwright was done uh, at that point. Let's get to the Brewers. Uh, a lot of choices here, and I, I landed on, if you didn't say it's Willie Adames post-trade outside the trop, it's probably either Luis Arias or Avi Garcia. Garcia's one home run away from 30. That's something he's never done before. And Urias, as we talked about kind of briefly on a recent pod, kind of making it look like that trade that sent Trent Grisham to San Diego is not quite the disaster that it appeared to be a year ago. Might still be a trade that favors the Padres long term, but you know, seeing Urias pop 22 homers this year, Contribute in the runs and RBIs category, steal a handful of bases, even if batting average is a category where he's just kind of mediocre. If he stays in the 240s, he's a good enough player to continue being a viable fantasy option for us for the next few years. Uh, who, who really stood up to you the most in this team? Like I, I have, I have wild expectations for the Brewers every year, but what what, what did you not see coming from this roster? Um, Avisel Garcia is a beast when it comes to stat cast numbers in terms of, uh, you know, max EV barrel, but also sprint speed and arm strength and like, uh, just general yokedness. He's a definitely undercover yoked. Um, I don't think people have understood that. So I thought he might have a good season. Uh, but I was a little bit worried. The pleasant surprise for me was that I thought, um, you know, this Brewers team might be kind of crowded in the outfield and, he, well, he only got to 505 plate appearances, so maybe some of that was was warranted. But I didn't know how many plate appearances you get. You know, um, I thought he would do well when he was in there. But uh, you know, going into the season, you're talking about having Jackie Bradley Jr. and Lorenzo Cain and uh, Yelich and Garcia, right? So there was some crowded aspect to it, but Jackie Bradley Jr. made it less crowded. Um, and Garcia ended up playing most of the time when he was healthy. So I, I thought Colton Wong um, would have more power, and he did. So uh, that didn't surprise me too much. Um, I picked up shares of Adamus as soon as he went to Milwaukee because I thought, looking at his home road splits, that he was having some sort of trouble with the trop. And I talked to him recently. He's, he definitely thinks it's the lights there. So I thought... You know, here he is going to a much better home park. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, I'd be, I almost answer like Adrian Hauser, maybe. Um, I, I, uh, 
I I should have picked these guys uh, to win the division. That's okay. You know, you could pick them next year and all will be forgiven. <laughs> but Adrian Hauser, I think, because expectations were lower for him, it, it feels like a pleasant surprise for sure. Freddie Peralta, though, like I, I, I think I mentioned it on this pod. Maybe I mentioned it on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. But that early that's draft, the real answer. That, I think that's the answer. That early draft I do with Zola, which starts up, I think, Friday night. Geez, that's too nice. I gotta get cranking on those rankings. Freddie what? Peralta. Yeah. You have a draft Friday night? Well, it's a slow draft. It'll take a couple weeks to, to oh, get through okay. it. But Freddie Peralta was undrafted in a 15-team mixed league draft that started as last season was coming to an end. And to see him at this level where, I mean, he's pushed almost going to probably get to 150 innings if they let him kind of go through a regular start for his regular season finale. He's going to pitch in the postseason a lot, hopefully, too. He's got a shot at 200 Ks. He's got a sub three ERA and he's got a whip below one. And for as much as, you know, we've talked about Corbin Burns as a Cy Young candidate, I think we both like Brandon Woodruff as a Cy Young candidate going into the season. He hasn't disappointed. He's just had a few other guys in the NL pitch at even higher levels than he has. Freddie Peralta doesn't get mentioned in the same breath, but he probably deserves it. And as much as I liked him when he first came up, you you could not have told me that this was going to happen. And, I, I wouldn't have believed it. There's just there's no way a sub three ERA and a sub one WHIP from Freddie Peralta seemed impossible to me. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it's one of those things where you look at he had like two innings per per appearance last year. So you look at the the strikeout rate and you say, well, you know, this is obviously a good pitcher, but at two innings per game, maybe he's just good as a reliever. You know, that's sort of, remember, that was like kind of the bouncing back and forth we did last year where we were like, maybe he's just this like volume reliever or maybe he's a, needs an opener, right? There was a whole discussion of maybe it's the first inning and uh, I kind of, a name that sort of pops in my head right now is Drew Rasmussen, where his role has been up in the air this year and there's a big discussion about whether or not he can do it as a starter. And maybe Peralta kind of tells you that if you have a big fastball that really works and you have a breaking ball that works off of that fastball, you can be a starter. Yeah, I, I'm blown away by what we've seen so far. I, I know projections are, are calling for regression already, and I'm sure once they do a full update, it might not be as harsh as it is right now. It's about a full run, according to the bat, like what he's done versus what was projected rest of the season. But if we say he's a 350 guy next season with a 115 whip and a well above average strikeout rate, that's going to work. Worth buying high. Yep, that could actually be basically a repeat. I, I just wonder what does that look like? Is he a guy that's going to go inside the top 40 overall? Are the Brewers going to have three guys inside the top 40 overall in that rotation? Yes. That's going to be weird for me to see that happen. Uh, you know what? I think Peralta may just suffer... A numbers game situation. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. He'll be the cheapest of the three by right. a relatively large margin for an early rounder. But I, I wonder if there should be that much of a gap. Do you think there's just going to be massive inflation on all the Brewers next year? Because Other than Christian Yelich, of course. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Guess the ADP for Yelly. Uh, oh. For another day. Yeah. You know, the people will still... We'll still give him another shot. 
and I'm looking for numbers that tell me that I should give him that shot, and I can't really find them right now. Oh, not I'll, a very good barrel rate. I, I guess an okay hard hit rate, but everything's on the ground again. I'll talk you into Christian Yelich. I got time. <laughs> I got time. Just give me two months. I got spare time, and you got a fridge full of beer. I'm going to talk you into Christian Yelich like a dozen times between now and next March. <laughs> oh yes, I look forward to it. Who's up? Who's up next? We got to get to the Marlins. We got to get to the NL East. We got to get out of here in like 20 minutes, so we're going to have to speed it up, which is my own fault, of course. Uh, uh, we like to talk to each other too much. How about Trevor Rogers? I mean, yeah, I think he's Trevor kind of the Rogers. the runaway winner, only because even if he even if you jumped on board with the spring that he had, he showed flashes of taking a massive step forward in spring training. As much as we can be excited about a pitcher that time of year, even if you bought in then, you didn't expect a level quite this good from him over the course of the season. And Pitching Plus never really quite bought in. It just said the slider was no good, uh, and it doesn't like the changeup as much as the results seem to like the changeup. Um, so I don't, I don't know what I'll do next year. I'll have to do more of a deep dive into him. Um, uh, but any pitcher in that, in that park, uh, gets a boost. Uh, so you have to always remember that the park, uh, is such a great place to pitch. Uh, if Rich Hill signs there, I'll sign him. <laughs> if Rich Hill signs in pitcher park, I will yeah. be interested in Rich Hill. <laughs> Uh, I do want to give a little bit of love to Miguel Rojas, um, and he's this Aguiar um, as being sort of boring veterans that uh, cost nothing and provided positive fantasy value for their teams uh, this year, and proof uh, that you can hit in that park. Um, you know, jazzism counts, but uh, the prospect community loved him. And uh, I think, you know, going forward, I think we still haven't answered exactly how good Jazz Chisholm is. I mean, right this year he had a 98 WRC plus because of all the strikeouts and no no walks. Does he add more walks going forward? Does he cut the strikeouts? Does he add power? Um, There's still a a fair amount of upset there at 23 years old, uh, but I don't think we can call him a pleasant surprise. The Jazz Chisholm situation is uh, exciting, I think, for the long term. The K rate being down is is a really good sign from him. I think the who, who's going to break out next year for the Marlins? I was hoping it was going to be J.J. Blade. He was having a brutal year in the minors. I think last time I checked might have been early July. And it looks like things have gotten a little better. Dozen homers. 21.6% K rate, good walk rate. So maybe there's some some rebound potential. And I think that's a group of players, like top prospects that struggled in the upper levels of the minor leagues. There will be some buying opportunities in keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, in the real trade market for real teams. There's going to be players moved that we didn't see coming. And I think we saw that at the deadline when Austin Martin got traded by the Blue Jays as part of that deal that sent Barrios to Toronto. We're going to see more trades like that around, I think, the winter meetings. So I'm just curious to see which prospects real-life teams try to buy low on because I think that might inform us of who's looking into some underlying numbers that might still have some hope for some of these guys that have had disappointing years. Yeah, uh, my bet for Pleasant Surprise next year is Jesus Sanchez. Uh, the strikeout rate is too high right now, but uh, if I remember correctly and the page is loading... Uh, <laughs> I remember uh, smaller strikeout rates in the minor leagues, much smaller. Yes, 
Um, and so I believe he will improve on the strikeout rate next year and capitalize on the 12% barrel rate and maybe be their best outfielder. I could definitely see that. Actually, why I'm going to get rid of the maybe. Come on, have some, have some huevos, you know. Jesus Sanchez will be the Marlins' best outfielder next year. All right, with conviction. Very, very well done. Conviction. Mas fuerte. <laughs> if you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey, guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's keep it rolling through the NL East, and let's go to uh, let's go to the go to the Nationals next. I guess Ugh, this is this division. Is there anything good about the Nationals? And any any actual pleasant surprise there? Is it Lane Thomas? It's only been over a partial season. We talked about him as kind of the more of like a last chance saloon sort of guy because of his age, and I think there's a good chance that he does have a meaningful role for the Nats in 2022. But is there anybody else that's caught your eye? No, Lane Thomas is my my uh, pleasant surprise. Although um, I think that some people might have checked out of Josh Bell's season <clears throat> early and not realized that uh, he has a shot at 30 homers. Uh, he's been 15% better than league average. Um, one thing that has made him difficult, because I have rostered him uh, in a couple places and rostered him on, on teams that will win championships uh, this week, is he's he has sat some against lefties and i don't know if that's just because ryan zimmerman is hanging around um and you know maybe that won't go that won't happen going forward but um it is a bit of a weakness his his he's a switch hitter so you wouldn't expect it but uh, he's weaker against lefties and uh, I do wonder what that means because, as we discussed on Monday, plate appearance are, are everything. And if you're in a 15-team league, Josh Bell played most of the season and is only going to get to 500 plate, 550 plate appearances because of the, that sitting that he did. He's only going to get 70. He's at 72 runs, 88 RBIs. So it is the secret thief, um, you know, on any team is is. Uh, platoon problems and teams that uh, that sit players like that. So I wonder, uh, I don't think that uh, uh, Zimmerman will be around next year. I think 
this his retirement it's probably situation? the end yeah yeah he signed a one million dollar deal this year it was not uh, a great hitter so with zimmerman off the team maybe they're just like hey let's stick him out there um I don't know what what else uh, counts as a pleasant surprise on this team. It was a uh, an unpleasant surprise of a season for them uh, across the board. I would say. I mean, Kyle Finnegan for second half saves. I mean, that's I guess the only other one that really sort of comes to mind for me. But I think looking forward, I'm still very interested in Josiah Gray. I think there's going to be a lot of helium on Kiebert Ruiz. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. I think it makes sense to like him a lot. But I think with Gray, you've got a guy with at least two good secondary pitches. The fastball has been a problem so far. He doesn't have a track record of bad command. There's clear opportunity there. I don't think the fact that the Dodgers traded him means that he's not going to be good. I think it means the Dodgers have a lot of pitching, and you have to give something to get something, especially when that something is Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer. <laughs> so as much as Gray has struggled during his time with the Nats, I think he's a great late pitching flyer, probably one of the guys you can draft after round 25 of a 15-team league. So one of your last picks, maybe more borderline for a 12-team mixed league, but a late flyer worth taking based on the track record and some of the the underlying numbers with the secondary pitches. I mean, I hear you. The one problem I have is that the Pitching Plus model presaged these problems uh, by pointing out that his forcing fastball is not good by Stuff Plus and not good by Location Plus. Um, his slider only rates as average, as good as it seems. Um, and, uh, the curveball is also below average, maybe some improvement in location, which is not a sticky year to year, uh, could work. But one thing that, um, pauses me from going in on late him as a late sleeper, because it's, you know, the cost is so low. I love, usually love pitchers like this. I, I, I don't have much confidence in Washington pitching development. Um, you know, for example, uh, Austin Voth. It's not Voth. Although, I think it'd be cooler if it was Voth. I mean, am I allowed to say that? It's his name. I, I shouldn't tell him it should be cooler if it was pronounced somewhere else. But it's like, Voth rhymes with goth is better than Voth rhymes with both. I'm just saying. Um, anyway, Austin Voth. Uh, does well by uh, all these stuff plus and location plus. He's always had good location and he often has had to go outside the organization uh, to recover velocity and to recover uh, some some of his pitch characteristics. So, you know, at some point, um, I feel like he just needs to go to a different organization. I know he has a 553 ERA and a 525 career ERA, but there is something here. And I just, the fact that Washington hasn't been able to get it out of him is just kind of uh, one of the many reasons. Also, they did really poorly when we looked at developing velocity. uh, And they also have a a poor reputation around the game when it comes to pitching development. So, uh, you know, put those all together and I'm kind of like, yeah, Josiah Gray, but in Washington. And and then Washington is a, is a, a Homer park, right? It's a, it's a park that augments homers. So. So I'm with you on the Nats being rubbish at developing pitchers. But the fact that he came from two organizations that have done a good job with it, with the Reds and the Dodgers. So you can just call back on it, maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's more of just like taking development into his own hands. And this is a guy that yeah. didn't play that at, at a D1 school. And for sure. I, I guess it's a little bit of faith that he can look around where he is right <laughs> now and say, 
wait a minute, this isn't the same info I was getting before. This isn't the same coaching I was getting before. I got to go out and, and fix this myself. I think it, it's me more of a bet on just the the raw ingredients being good enough and age to level production still matters to me. I, I think I, I totally understand your concerns. And if he's still getting blasted with the same arsenal early in April next year, he's one of the first guys off my roster. But there's but quite the, a bit to like in his profile. Yeah, I mean, the, just the just minor league strikeout rates, just strikeout rates in general, are something to bet on. You know, uh, the you know, K minus BB is this one of the strongest single stats in the sport, and uh, focusing on the K side is uh, better since we know that that command uh, kind of goes and comes from year to year. So, my pick for pleasant surprise next year though is Lane Thomas. I'm going to pick the same guy because I don't think that people will buy into it. It'll come at a time when a lot of people aren't paying attention to fantasy. And it'll be in such a small sample and have affected so few people. You know what I mean? Like so few people will have rostered Lane Thomas and remembered how good he was that I don't think he'll have any sort of helium next year. But he has a really good reach rate, a pretty good barrel rate, and uh, all the opportunity in the world again. I think he'll be a starting outfielder for them. I think he'll hit 270 next year with 23 homers and 10 stolen bases. It's a good player. Yeah, and I think he'll be super cheap. So that is my pick for uh, Pleasant Surprise. Next year, who's next? Philly. Yeah, like the Phillies are a team that I don't have a lot of long-term hope for. I think they're a good old core that just needs to keep adding in free agency. So finding a next year's Pleasant Surprise on that roster is harder for me than most. I would say if I had to look forward for them, does Alec Bohm count? Because he's an unpleasant yeah. surprise for this year. I still believe in his approach as a hitter. I think he kind of fell into this weird spot where he had that success right away. Season wasn't long enough last year for teams to adjust. They adjusted to him. He has to adjust back. I still think he can make a lot of hard contact, keep the K rate reasonably low, and end up being a very productive corner bat for the Phillies. So I see a nice bounce back coming from him. I have a little bit of love for Bailey Falter as uh, a kind of Zach Eflin clone where he'll have just enough stuff and a lot of command um, and and kind of make it work on the kind of 3-9 to 4-2 ERA front. You know, not uh, it'll, it'll count as a pleasant surprise because he has a 5 ERA now and isn't really on anybody's list. Uh, but I could see Bailey Falter slipping into that fifth starter role and... Um, and giving them some love, uh, you know, next year. But Bohm is also my pick for next year. For this year, though, Ranger, Ranger Suarez has to be the pick. Yeah, I just, you know, I think that he uh, does not have the stuff to continue uh, being this good, though. Yeah, yeah, starter. but but is he? If, let's say he's a part of the rotation all year next year. Is he a three? 80 ERA guy with like a 125 whip or is he worse than that? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see that the bat uh, likes him for a 3.5 ERA, but it's one start, so maybe the bat has more um, matchups information in it. Um, I like Zips is 3.95131. I think it seems about right. So usable. Usable. I think... I would say I would I would call him a matchups guy next year. 
Okay. That's that's not bad. I, I don't I have no feel for how much people are gonna overreact to what looks like a hundred innings now of amazing ratios and a strikeout per inning. If they overreact and he's a top one fifty overall guy, I'm I'm not in in that range. If people say, eh, we're all skeptical, maybe then. But I, I think you're right. I think a matchups play, especially because of the park too. That's always a factor for me with fringy starters in Philadelphia. If but Rich Hill signs with Philadelphia, I will not have shares. I don't think I'll roster him at all, except for like road starts against the Marlins. <laughs> I don't know, man. If he if he was in St. Louis or in in Miami, you wouldn't roster him. I think he'd be a great bench pitcher. No, I, yeah, I like him if he lands there. If he lands in Philly, I think I would only roster him. I could pick him up for a road start in Miami. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm saying if he if he signs with Philadelphia, I'm not in on that. <laughs> 100% agree. Can you have pleasant surprises when your expectations were to win 90-plus games and you won like 77? I don't know. Is this uh, the Mets? Yeah, let's get to the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What I really thought we were done uh, dunking Jonathan on Jonathan VR, them. maybe? I really did. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess VR is like a $9, $10 player. in 18 homers, 14. And I kind of scoffed at the idea that he would be worth drafting. I did. I think I probably there probably there's probably audio audio that exists. Yeah, it's probably out there. Yeah. Can we give them credit for Javier Baez? We didn't give the <clears> Cubs <throat> credit for it, even though the Cubs you know had him for a larger portion of the season than the Mets did. Baez is going to have maybe a thirty twenty season that no one cares about. Yeah, yeah, he's um he's just one of those ones that the 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 numbers won't like uh and that creates a, an opportunity today in fantasy games because um you know in, in in terms of projection and stuff so many people hew so close to the projections that uh if you think that Javi Baez you know is going to land somewhere where he plays more like the Mets version um you will get value for your money i think you know in the short term he's still an okay bet but uh, in terms of dynasty, I think this is the year to sell him. Yeah, uh, the, the long-term concerns are, are legit, but Baez has basically been a top 30 player based on earned value this year. God, look at that Max EV, dude. That is in, that's impressive. It's gone up every year. He's been in the, in the big leagues, basically, and it's up to 116.7. Yeah. And his plate approach is so horrid. That's that's where all that long-term concern comes from. But you're playing one year at a time, and no one likes them. And through the sabermetric lens, people only see the flaws. They don't see the good things that he does. There's plenty of good things that Javier yeah, Baez does. Yeah, going into this year, he he ended up... Uh, I, I, actually, I did get a couple shares because he ended up dropping so much and that I, I, I bought him mostly in best ball because I figured, yeah, he's dropping, but this is a guy who can put together just a, a, a torrid you know, month. Then unfortunately he, he put up that toward month after my best ball teams were eliminated, but yeah, who's complaining? Yeah. Uh, do we don't have any other candidates? Not really. Tyler McGill's home run rate exploded. So I, I mean, I, I think he I think came I out of relative nowhere. Him, I think I might have, have him as next year's. I could buy that. I, I, I like his collection of pitches. He has. I like the the fact that he has multiple pitches. Um, I like the. I like that his secondaries are good. I think slightly better command uh, and maybe a little bit fewer fastballs. I mean, he still threw fifty seven percent fastballs. The fastballs are not that good. 
and it looks like he can command at slider. So why not push the slider percentage to 25% and be more like 50, 25, 25 uh, with the change in slider. So um, I have some hope for, for him next year. Um, yeah, Strowman, I think counts, man, because projections were pretty low on him. And I know that my pitching plus model didn't love him, but I had to put him higher than projections to put him in my top 60, I think. And he put this season together. I think he's the winner. He's got five seasons now in his career with a Sierra under four. K's are never the strength, but because of the volume, he ends up making up ground in that category, even with the rate being a little bit lower. And this year, it was the highest swing strike rate of Marcus Stroman's career. So there was some improvement. He's regard. done some weird things this year. He started throwing like some splitters high in the zone. Uh, I mean, he's 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 changing things up, and he still has that excellent ground ball rate because the sinker's so good. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to appraise him going forward. Some part of this also is that the Mets' home park played extremely pitcher friendly this year, and we haven't really uncovered the mystery there. Yeah, that's a bizarre one that I'm sure we'll get a chance to dig into a bit more over the course of the winter. I'm with you on McGill. I think there's enough in that profile where he could end up being the pleasant surprise, at least for the group of pitchers there in 2022. You could go as simple as good strikeouts, good walks, bad home run rate in 84 innings. I mean, that's a decent way to go find sleepers. Right, especially it's not going to take you a top 250 pick, maybe not even a top 300 pick to get McGill. Who knows how aggressive they'll be in free agency. That could make it look like he's their sixth starter going into the season. If that happens, the price drops even further. Guys get hurt, so you still could draft him in those deeper mixed leagues that we're always talking about. Last team to get to, Atlanta. And it's actually funny that we we pushed the Mets up in the order and dragged the Phillies down by getting them earlier since Atlanta Phillies still battling it out for the Oops, NL yeah, we East. got that one. Eh, it happens. But Atlanta's pleasant surprises. I mean, I, I think... I think it's got to be Waskari Noah as the the winner of this, and I really wanted to Wait, know because because we anticipated Austin Riley. So on the sort of surprise aspect, uh, Austin Riley doesn't win. I think he's absolutely part of the conversation. I think Noah was just a guy. I, I had no expectations for him. With Riley, we had prospect pedigree. We saw plate skills that were heading in the right direction That's a right. year ago. We've seen flashes of the raw power. Even when he first came up, he was mashing. But for him to do it consistently, definitely a, a pleasant surprise. But, I mean, Waskari Noah, did anybody think he was, A, going to be in the rotation as long as he was healthy this season, and B, that he'd be a main, like a great contributor in, in whip and ERA? The, the ratios we saw in the little bits he was in the big leagues were atrocious. He had a walks issue last year when we saw him. I, I just didn't see enough in that profile on the surface to even dig deep, and that was a big miss. I mean, he sat 96.6 this year. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of velo. Um, I will say that the location plus numbers on his pitches are not good. It, it suggests that the slider is the only pitch he can command. But if there's only one pitch you can command, that's not bad, actually. Because then you can throw the slider in any count at any time. Now people have to, if they sit slider then you can just sort of pitch backwards and you're pitching backwards with a 97 mile hour fastball, right? So if, you, if they sit slider, you have a really good pitch you can put in different parts of the uh, of the zone, uh, which he did make some mechanical adjustments to get to that point. Now, 
that might be a really good two-pitch basis. Now you just have to have a show-me change if people have figured something out about your sequencing. I think that Enoa might end up being a, a one of those repeat uh, pleasant surprises. Enoa versus Alzali, who we talked about earlier for 2022. Who would you take if the price is similar? Oh, man. I think Enoa is going to be a little more expensive, but I don't think it's going to be that much of a gap. So, Advert, this is actually um, where I think the Pitching Plus model is, is going to be the most useful because um, Pitching Plus beats uh, projections on starters four or five starts into the season, which suggests to me that uh, for pitchers that had, you know, 20, 25 starts, traditional projections are still going to be superior. But the smaller your sample is, uh, the the more you should look at pitching plus. Uh, pitching plus for Alzale is 101, uh, 1014, uh, with uh, just below average uh, stuff because of some of those that curveball and sinker usage. Um, and just above average location, and Waskari Noah. So we're trying to beat 101.4. I think Waskar is going to beat that, and I think I'm going to take Waskar because I think in terms of a single pitch, uh, he's got the best single pitch. So as this loads, I mean, isn't that is that is that more of a thing that we should consider now? We used to think. Ooh, Waskari Noah has a 100 pitching plus because he has a 104 stuff and a below average location plus. So what we know that stuff plus is is stickier year to year. So does it does anything I'm saying inform your decision? Yeah, continue to be a stuffist seems like the the main takeaway here. But I think with Inoa, there's also the team context. How much more do you like the 2022 Braves than the 2022 Cubs? Like that could also be something that separates these two guys if they do end up ending in ending up in the same tier. But you know, also throws in uh, a new launching pad. That was the nickname for the old Atlanta Stadium, and the new Atlanta Stadium actually seems to have those characteristics. Fair point. Um. Wins, though, are a category that I always ignore to my peril. So I want to ignore them, but... I'm going Enoa by nose. All right. I'm on board. I like both. I like both. I like both. I think they're both. And I wonder... I want to see what their ADPs are like next year. If they're near each other, I'd try to get both, maybe. Yeah, definitely a possibility given where they'll be going. Before we go, a lot of announcements to pass along. One, you can get 50% off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. So be sure to do that. Two, we have live shows starting up next week. If there is a game 163 on Monday, we'll start a day early. We'll go on Monday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. Right on YouTube. Live. So if you do not currently follow us on YouTube, Hit the subscribe button on the channel. You'll get notified every time we go live. Of course, those episodes will eventually run as podcasts later on in the day. Uh, but to maximize the value of that content, you know, listening as we're going live, watching as we go live is probably the best way to do that. You can email us. Ratesinbarrels at theathletic.com is the best way to do that. On Twitter, he is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.